Welcome to the first mini-episode of Hughes Interviews. In this episode, I have a chat with producer Sue Frost, all the way from New York, and Bonnie Harris, who is the inspiration for one of the characters in the show. I hope you enjoy. Uh, just know there is a little bit of background noise as before in the previous episode. I hope it doesn't detract too much. joined by one of the producers from uh, Junkyard Dog Productions, Sue Frost, who's come over all the way from New York for the opening of the Australian premiere of Come From Away. Thank you so much for joining, Sue. It's my pleasure. Um, so, uh, I guess, welcome for number one. Thank you. Um, and uh, how are you finding your stay in Melbourne so far? Oh, I'm having a great time. I've been here about three weeks, and... Um, I've been able to get to see a lot of Melbourne. Yeah. I go out every morning and walk as far as my feet will take me before I have to go to rehearsal. <laughs> and um, I went out to the Yarra Valley on a day off and saw a little bit of the Yarra Valley. And went to, to Hillsville. We went to Hillsville, the sanctuary there, yes. which was fabulous. And yes, we went to Oak Ridge. Oak Ridge. Oh, I yeah, love and had Oak a beautiful Ridge, really. meal there. Oh my mm. goodness, that was beautiful. The yeah. restaurant's so fantastic. I mean, the worst of it is I can't buy too much wine because there's only so much I can drink before I go home. You know? Exactly. <laughs> and it's too much. There's way too much to send it over yourself. Mm. Um, well, just keep keep the Yarra Valley in mind for when you ever go to Bottleos overseas, I guess. Yes. Um, so, it. apart from experiencing the the uh, alcoholic delight <laughs> of Melbourne, have you been to any footy or gone to? We went cafes? to footy. We went to footy on Sunday. That was great fun. Um, let's see. We had a, a wonderful welcome brunch for our Newfoundlanders at Charcoal. Yes. Yeah, that good. was terrific um, in Fitzroy. Um, and I was actually waiting for the museums and things. My husband arrived yesterday, so I knew that he would want to go to all the museums, so I saved them for him. So oh, that's what we're going to sneak those in in between work. Yeah, check out the NGV while you're at it yes. as well. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yes. Right. yes. Uh, well, let's chat about Come From Away. Sure. So as uh, one of the producers, how did it first come to your attention? Um, I had actually been introduced to David and Irene, the authors, by a mutual friend, um, but I didn't actually know uh, this show until we saw 45 minutes of it at a music theatre festival in New York. And um, we completely fell in love with the story. We had no idea what we were going to do with it. Uh, it's a funny title. It's an ensemble piece. There's no brand recognition. There's really and, only one solo song. As and there's only one solo song. And, and everyone was going to call it the 9-11 musical. So we had to uh, find a way to tell the story of what the show was. So we set out on a on a journey. We went to La Jolla, California. We went to Seattle, Washington. We went to Washington, D.C. We went to Toronto. And we went back to Gander, Newfoundland before we came to New York. So by the time we got to New York, 250,000 people had seen the show and loved the show and were telling their friends to go see the show. So, so that word of mouth was That really word of mouth, it. yes. It's a, I've, never, I've never worked on a show that had this kind of extraordinary word of mouth. And, yeah. and I think it's because people want to share the story with people they love. Mm. And they want, and not only do they say you need to go see it, they say I'm going back and you're coming with me, yeah. you know, because they like to experience it together. Yeah, it's a it's, very 
positive, heartwarming story. The just the feeling of catharsis seeing totally. that show. And totally. I mean, I, I've said it already, but uh, the show that I went to see, there was a standing ovation, and it was a matinee, so uh, it's hard to get a standing ovation in Australia as it is. We're a pretty tough crowd with that kind of stuff. But immediately, as soon as the lights came up, everyone just leapt to their feet yeah. in exuberation. Yeah, there's been a great explosion after the show, and that's when everyone everyone said, "No, don't expect standing ovations here." I know you're used to them, but don't expect them. We're like, okay. And that first preview, people leapt to their feet and were like, okay, we'll take it. <laughs> the cast was that's thrilled. <laughs> yeah, it's just as exciting for them, that's for sure. Sure, sure. Um, uh, now, do you, so it, it, you saw it in the, the initial workshop. How much did it, obviously it added a bit more time than 45 minutes. But well, it... yeah, originally as written, it was in two acts. Mm. It is now in one act. Um, and it was, there was a lot more material that we had to sort of winnow out of it once we decided we didn't want an intermission. The thing of the show is it's very, the energy is very propulsive. It moves very quickly. It seemed very wrong to have a, a stop in the middle. Uh, what, what I said to the authors when we talked about it, I said, you know, those people didn't get a break for five days. I don't think the audience should either. You know, you just have to keep going. It doesn't um, feel no. like a, a, a ridiculously long time. No, no, no. It moves so quickly yeah. and the storytelling is so, I think, for me, the storytelling is so interesting. You're just like listening to every single thing. You and want to know what happens You next. do. You yeah. do. And you want to meet all these people. We've got 12 actors playing probably about 85 different characters and they switch with a with a change of a hat or a change of a jacket, change of an accent. Um, but the storytelling, I think, is really clear. Mm. And uh, and by and large, the most important thing is we're telling a story about about ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Mm. And it's just it's it's just a celebration of it is. humanity in the face. It is. It's a very joyous story. I know that, uh, folks have said they're they're a little uh, reluctant. They're not sure. Is it mm. going to be too serious? Is it going to be too heavy? And it's like, no. It's a really joyous story about people coming together and taking care of each other. I laughed so much. Oh my God! There's the some show. very well. You met some of these Newfoundlanders. They are funny people. <laughs> yeah. the, um, the the mayor with the hat. Oh yes. Every Term. time. Yeah. Gets me every time. And his Irish whiskey. Oh uh, yes. As soon as, as soon as he put that hat on, I was like, and I'm done. I'm Have you met him yet? Oh, that's no. him. Oh, he's here. You oh, meet really? him. Oh, Is that's he him. The hat? Yeah, yeah. No, he's not wearing the hat. He probably has one with him if you ask him. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, uh, talk to me about being a producer in New York. I sure. mean, for for uh, theatre and musicals, it is mecca, yeah. I guess. So, uh, what's it like being in the most incredible city in the world for it? Well, you know, as an independent producer, and my company, um, Junkyard, is, is uh, it's a very small company. There's four of us. Um, and we, when we opened the office, we said we were only going to do original musicals. So, we set ourselves a challenge because we, we were never going to do movie adaptations, we were never going to do jukebox musicals, we were always going to take original stories and musicalize them, which is a challenge, but if you're careful about it, um, certainly come from ways a wonderful testament to the fact that that audiences are looking for great stories and will respond to it if you if you if you put it in front of them properly you know um, but working on Broadway you know it, it really is kind of like Mecca I mean you've got you've got the opportunity to work with amazing professionals and people who um, uh, are the, at the top of their game but you know I, I, I have 
to say, being here in Melbourne, we've been so impressed with the, the folks that we've been working with. We're so impressed with the level of commitment and talent of our actors, of our band, of our crew. It's really been extraordinary. It's really been extraordinary. Well, thank you. That means a lot. No, no. It really, you know, like I say, I, 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 we've, we've done the show in London. We've done the show in Toronto. We've got it on tour. We're on Broadway. We're here. The, the, the level of, of, uh, of the talent and commitment here is, is unmatched by any of these other companies. Yeah, so, it's, yeah. um, it's important to tell stories like this. It's so we very important it to tell stories, yes. Um, now, I wanted to pick up on something you mentioned earlier as well. Uh, you saw this show first as a workshop. Uh, how important is being able to do the out-of-town triad or the workshop um, there's such a rich aspect to Oh, the, it's the really important, especially with an original show. Yeah. In fact, we, we were speaking with some students here earlier this week, some musical theatre students. At BCA, my, yes, my old yes, college. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. They were saying, you know, we don't really have that opportunity here. You know, it's really great to take a show somewhere and try it out somewhere safe, yeah. where you can see it in front of audiences that are not the, the big Broadway audiences. And, uh, um, and so having the opportunity to take the show and try it out and, and learn learn every step of the way before we expose it in a multi-million dollar production on, on Broadway uh, is, uh, is critical, I think, to, to coming up with a, a successful new musical. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining, Sue. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Your words of wisdom are very much appreciated. Great. I hope you enjoy the rest of your stay. I yeah. know I will. <laughs> thank, thank you. you. I'm currently joined by Bonnie Harris, who is um, the inspiration for one of the characters of Come From Away. Thank you so much for joining me, Bonnie. Oh, you're quite welcome. Um, now, the character that is based on Bonnie is the animal wrangler. Wrangler, sorry. Um, now, uh, the, how, how true to life is that character's through line? Uh, were you scrounging through the, the belly of the aeroplanes to try and find as many animals as you could? Yes, um, the first day. Um, they would not allow the animals off the planes at all so yeah we had to climb the stairs um, to go up into the cargo holds sometimes you would hear an animal um, but you wouldn't see it so you'd have to move the luggage out of the way and uh, try to get at that animal and trying to do all that on a, a very small square footage area was a little bit difficult there was actually um, on the first morning there was three of us um, there's myself and Linda Humby and Vitar Vi um, didn't continue into the afternoon because she had to. She had to go to work. So it was myself and Linda Humby. Later on that morning, we came. We found a um, cat that was in a kennel with a pill bottle taped to the top. And I wasn't familiar with the drugs, so I called our local veterinarian, who's uh, Dr. Doug Tweedy, and uh, asked him what the drug was. Mm. And he asked, you know, what I, why do you want to know that? And I said, well, I'm at the airport, and there's animals on the planes. And he said, you know, I called, and I was told there was none. And I said, yeah, I called, and I was told there was none also. You wanted to investigate yourself. Yeah, yeah. That's so, a good thing uh, you did. Yeah, well, I, I give credit to, to my husband, actually, because... Um, I'm going to just back up a bit that when, when I originally mm. called the airport authority, I was told there was no animals. Um, and that was probably early afternoon on the 11th. Um, I went home after work, and my husband had been 
work. No, my husband was home that day, and I told him, you know, I called, and there's no animals on the planes. And he's a uh, he's actually an aircraft refueler, mm. and he said, uh, no, he said I I can guarantee you there are animals on those planes. He said at least a couple of the planes. So I said, well, I was told there was none, and he told me, he said, listen, call the ground handlers, they have the manifest, they know what's on board. So the, it was too late by that time, so the following morning I called up, and sure enough, yeah, they had, uh, it was 12 or 13 planes that had animals on board, so oh, wow. it was that morning that we actually started to, to bring supplies up, everything we could think of that we needed. And, and you weren't allowed to take them off for a little while, were you? No, no, um, not until the call with um, to Dr. Tweedy. Um, yeah. He just so happened to be a provincial vet, and... Uh, he knew there were the, the strings to pull, so he called Canadian Agri-Foods and um, got them to give permission to, to release the animals. Because you have to understand, at that same time, um, mad cow disease was on the go in England. Oh, of course, and yeah, there so were there's... European flights too. Yeah, oh, yeah. No. So, so I'm they're... guessing you had to quarantine yes. them pretty strictly. Yeah. Um, well, they were put into um, um, a large garage area that um, the, the dogs and cats were put into the same areas and... I didn't realize, I didn't know there were bonobo chimpanzees there until um, that afternoon or that evening when we did go up to let the dogs out and give them a little walk and feed them, that there was two large crates there and uh, they were they were covered and I could hear the noise behind them. And they actually had their handler with them. Um, he was very particular about um, the bonobos not being stressed out and uh, so he kept them covered for the most part. He, um, there was a language bar barrier between the two of us and uh, so I mean they were eating fruit and vegetables. I mean I would imagine not the type of fruit and vegetables we get in Newfoundland but um, you know he was brought up some fruit and vegetables and I brought in um, some dried fruit and I remember trying spending about 10 minutes trying to explain to them that this was not candy. Um, so after about 10 minutes, I finally did. He did understand it's not candy; it's just dried fruit, and he did let me uh, let me feed them. So, yeah. So I, I think he may have known um, that they were that uh, Unga was pregnant. I didn't. I didn't know. Um, not until after, and I think that's why he was being so very, very careful with yeah. her. Um, she did go on to lose her baby. Yeah. I, it didn't I was happen. Hoping that wouldn't be. No, no, it, it didn't actually happen in Gander, but she did uh, shortly after, and I would assume that it was the stress. just the stress of everything she'd gone through. I mean, yeah. they were five days in a in a cargo hold in a in a you know a small crate that they couldn't get out of, and um, stressful for anyone. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, so she she did lose her baby. Um, yeah, it was it was a busy busy time. Yeah. Wow. Um, so the question I've been asking everyone though is. Um, everyone has such a clear, vivid memory of where they were when they found oh, yeah. out. And yes. where, what, what's your story behind that? I was working. Um, school buses were on strike. Uh, my husband was home, and uh, I got a call from my husband. And he was watching the news. And he said, oh, my God, he said, a, a plane just hurt, uh, hit the uh, t one of the towers. And as he's speaking to me on the phone, um, because he was saying, you know, I wonder if pilot error or, you know, is, you know, did the pilot sick or pass out or die? <laughs> and uh, um, 
just as he was, you know, trying to figure out what the heck is going on, the second plane hit, and, oh. and, and, and it was live, and I just, I, you know, I heard the gasp in his voice, and, uh, I, you know, he said, oh, my God, this is not, this is not an accident. Mm. And, you know, I, I just spoke with him to him for a few minutes, and it was 10.30, quarter to 11, so I had to finish doing the work at the shelter, then I had to go pick up the kids, and the part that you see in the show with me pulling up alongside of Osfudge, that is true, because uh, I had pulled up next to him, and... Uh, I was motioning him for him to, to roll down the window, and uh, I'm like, turn on your radio. He thought I was talking about his radio, his <laughs> police radio. I'm like, no, turn on your radio. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that's pretty word for word, that, yeah. that part, and majority of it is. Um, the, the character that's played on stage, of course, would be um, myself, I guess. Um, the combined character would be myself, um, Dr. Tweedy, and Linda Humby. Mm. Um, and probably, and I don't even know the gentleman's name who, who was the handler. Mm. So I think my character on stage is a combination of those four characters. But they got your name, though. <laughs> they got my name. <laughs> they, they got my name. <laughs> yeah. Um, so is it is it kind of an out-of-body out of experience seeing your words spoken on stage? The first time we saw it was in, in Gander. Yeah. Um, they did a concert type thing. Um, I think they wanted our approval to go on to Broadway with this, and they certainly got it um, but I was very apprehensive about seeing it um, because I mean it had been a while since we had done these interviews and I'm like oh my gosh like and that was I... 10 years after yeah already yeah and I'm thinking you know what did I say on these interviews <laughs> and you know did I did I get it right and um, and what they what did they take from those interviews and when I sat on, on stage, I was totally blown away by it. Um, we were so proud, so mm. proud of, of what David and Irene had pulled off. Um, and like I said, we were apprehensive because Newfoundlanders tend to be a bit paranoid about how their characters are portray portrayed or how their language um, accents come out. Um, they did, I mean, they did an absolutely wonderful job. And I should have known better with David and Irene that they would not do something that mm. they thought would offend us. They wouldn't go for any kind of cheap laugh. No, no. absolutely not, yeah. absolutely not. And speaking of that, I laughed so hard during that show. Was it, was it, um, were there any little in-jokes just for you guys that uh, would have gone right over my head? <laughs> No, I don't think there. I don't think there was. Um, you know, the bonobos cleaning their own kennels. That was that was a fact. They they did um, because I I was thinking. You know, when we had the dogs and that there, that house. How is he going to keep those clean? And uh, yeah, they would they would actually pick up their feces and just throw it out on the floor. <laughs> so you know, we'd pick it up and clean it up from there. But yeah. uh, there's a, there was a couple um, you know stories that that weren't in the show that I remember. And one was I lot well I didn't lose the cats, but there was two cats. We would take the cats and actually bring them into a bathroom mm. so that they could get out of the kennels and stretch their legs while we were. Uh, I think there was probably five cats or six cats five or six and we'd give them there was two that were together so we'd let them out in the bathroom together and then we'd you know, give them 20 minutes a half hour to just get out and exercise and I remember going home one evening it was probably the fourth evening and I was you know you're getting pretty tired then because I'm working I've, I'm doing the airport I've got the kids and I, I went home and I was let, like 11 o'clock at night and I was just like oh finally you know just to, to lie down in bed and my phone rings and this is the guys from the airport saying oh 
uh, there's two cats up here in the bathroom roaming around. Oh, no. <laughs> so I had to go up and get those. Um, there was one, another story that wasn't uh, told was that um, on, on American Airlines, there was, a, there was a dog, and this is when we were actually going up into the planes in the morning and uh, this was a Rottweiler and she didn't want she didn't want anything to do with anybody touching her cage mm. so we're here standing on these on the steps of the, um, the stairs um, on the platform and sort of scratching your heads like what are we going to do we've got the dog has got to come out and they're not allowing us to take her out of the plane into somewhere else and where they're scratching your, scratching your heads and the people are still looking at the plane mm. they're still on the plane 24 hours later yeah. and uh, I didn't think about it until later but it must have been a bit scary for them to see somebody up in the cargo hold of their plane and thinking what in the hell we're still on the plane mm. there's people in the cargo hold and they haven't been given the full picture of what's going no, on either no so um, the stewardess actually came off the plane and um, they allowed her off and she asked the ground handlers what was going on and she was told there's a dog on board that uh, is just not cooperating and they they allowed the uh, owner to actually come off the plane to to take him out or take her out and uh, once she she met us mm. she was fine she was perfect so he just uh, needed her owner there to yeah calm yeah down. yeah yeah so uh, but that uh, you know luckily that uh, that was the only incident that we had with a dog that didn't want uh, any strangers um, yeah. because all the others were absolutely fantastic <laughs> yeah well, I think that's all we have time for. Yep. Bonnie, thank you so much for sharing your stories You're with welcome. us here. I hope you have a wonderful time uh, for the rest of your trip in Melbourne. We're having a fabulous time. <laughs> that's good to hear. <laughs> thank you. Pleasure.